0: Cool. All right, well, welcome to uh, the Security Rabbit Hole podcast. This is the Friday Night Cyber Show, episode one. Uh, what we're going to be doing here is diving into the various aspects of the security realm as a whole. I'm Sonny, uh, my co-host is Shubham, um, and today we're here with Ed Scolius. Ed is someone that's fairly well-known. Uh, is is an understatement in the cybersecurity world. Um, I'm not gonna go through all of the things he's done. Uh, There's too many to list, but uh, it's great to have Ed here with us. Ed, thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you, it's great. Congratulations on the new podcast, it's exciting. Episode one, how about that? Episode one, we're
0: we're starting at the top. (laughs) Yeah, Well, I'm I'm (laughs) Um, really
1: happy to be here. Thank you for your
0: kind intro. Oh, thanks, Ed. So some of the stuff we're going to try and run through uh, today, some of the topics uh, we're looking at artificial intelligence in cybersecurity, mixed between the offensive and the defensive side. Uh, we're looking at an industry outlook, uh, infosec as a whole, along with the, the the future of pen testing, and then Ed with you we want to run through some of like your some of your best pen test moments, some of your highlights I guess is a better way of putting it, uh, and then. Finish up with an update from Counterhack, and uh, maybe if you're up for it, a little bit about this year's KringleCon. See what Santa's got plans when we get down to get down to the end of the year. Absolutely,
1: I'd love that. I've got Excellent. some stuff to share directly from Santa Claus himself. <laughs>
0: Honestly, KringleCon every year is just amazing. Fantastic. Um. So if we kick off with artificial intelligence, um, what's your what's your take on AI? So we see we see it branded quite a bit uh, yeah. in, in the, the, some monitoring and defensive capabilities, but what's your exposure and experience been with artificial intelligence? Sure.
2: We, at uh,
1: DerbyCon about five years ago, we had a keynote panel, and there were a whole bunch of people on the panel. It was me, obviously Dave Kennedy, um, uh, Kevin Johnson was there, Chris Nickerson, and they posed this question to us. Uh, same question. But that was five years ago, and there was quite a debate about whether it was a major game changer or an incremental tool we could add and I won't say who came out on what side of that debate back then um, but over the last five years we've seen it is not a major game-changer it is an incremental tool that uh, works well for certain fairly narrow problems Um, it might be that 15 or 20 years down the road it could be a big game changer but it is not a huge deal right now the kind of problems that it works well for are when we have large data sets and i mean very large data sets millions or multiple millions of entries and you need to look for patterns in that i mean i'm talking specifically about neural network based machine learning algorithms because that's the most widely used so-called ai at this point there may be other breakthroughs with other forms of ai but that's what we got right now um it is help it's very helpful in uh the malware analysis and endpoint security protection but it hasn't supplanted completely signature-based detection, I mean, traditional signatures, nor has it supplanted behavior-based protection, which is still, I mean, holding the whole thing together. Um, but but it, it has helped. It is a component now of malware detection. Um, from an offensive perspective, there are some already narrow problems that it can help uh, with the offense. For example, the formulation of password guesses for password cracking. Right? Take a neural network, train it up into how tens of millions or even more users formulate their passwords, and then ask it to start creating potential passwords that humans would create. There's a really neat thing about that. Um, so, so there's some tools out there that you, you can uh, train up and such uh, with, with password lists from previous hacks. right? So you train it up so you're essentially training a machine in how humans formulate their passwords so that the machine can create new potential passwords for cracking, you know, using a cracking yeah. algorithm that might be closer. So what the machine is generating, might be passwords that are closer to what a human would choose than what a human could actually guess that another human might do. I, I think it's crazy <laughs> ironic that, that, yeah, that yeah, that's happening. Yeah, that's,
0: yeah. That, yeah that, is, that, that is pretty, uh, pretty mind blowing.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so narrow problem sets, useful tool, game changer, n- not at this point. Um, you know, and, and then there's sort of ancillary uses. I've seen this in some of the range products and such out there, you know, you're, you're working your way through uh, some sort of red on blue battle or something and you can ask your Siri-like companion, hey, what's on port number 443? As if you didn't know, right? And, and it'll tell you. I, I don't consider that actually the offensive or cybersecurity use of AI. That's just, sure. you know, a smart assistant or intelligent um things. I was talking with a um a friend this morning though, and he was talking about the creation of an AI chatbot with the perspective of training people. So again that's not directly in cybersecurity, but it's training people in cybersecurity. So you know if it's almost like you're artificially intelligent coach. Um, right. So you know rather than assigning a human trainer or coach, which is a great thing, but Sometimes that human trainer's not up at 3 a.m., right? So you can start <laughs> yeah. typing stuff into a chatbot, and chatbots have come a long way over the years, largely driven by customer support. Yeah. Um, so so th- there's lots of different uses of this, but when it comes to pure play cybersecurity, um, narrow problem sets, useful tool, not a game changer at this point.
2: So no. when you talk about the uh, chatbots, wasn't, when you, whenever you're inputting something for the AI, for yeah. it to learn. Doesn't that pose kind of like a disaster uh, situation where like, for example, Tay was one of them from Microsoft um, back in the time. And um, it was people to talk to. That's what it meant for. And then people started putting racist stuff into it. Yeah. It, it and it started like, learning that. It turned vehemently
1: racist within an hour, right? It, yeah. It was so yeah. sad and so disgusting. And it's again, you, you teach a machine to think like humans and next thing you know they're disgusting and horrible <laughs>
2: and that's, yeah that's surprised. the first thing that's going to happen so <laughs> yeah. In, yeah, into absolutely. that uh it gets very hard don't you think that um whenever you're training um a machine to understand malware or you're training a machine to understand um, an algorithm to understand certain types of detection um, yeah. how easy can it be to fool that machine in a sense that you put bits and pieces of a broken malware and then train it to understand that these bits and pieces are perfectly fine. And then once it already understands that all these commands are perfectly fine, the script's broken down, is fine. Let's just ship them through. And then the entire malware goes through the entire AI and it doesn't get detected. Do you think that's the possibility too?
1: Absolutely. In fact, Johannes Ulrich, I think you probably know him from the Internet Storm Center. Um, He did a presentation at RSA this year about Um, malware detection using machine learning neural network uh, technologies. Because how do you train that? Well, you train that by feeding it malware and say, this is bad. And like you say, Shubham, you also uh, train it by feeding it good stuff and saying this is good. So it learns what's bad and what's good. But the the operative piece here is it's learning what's bad being fed by the malware of actual bad people, right? Right. So if those bad people want to, you know, game the system what they can do is they can provide certain kinds of bad stuffs to you so that your system is optimized to detect certain kinds of bad stuff and then they use other bad stuff that your system can't yeah. see and that's why i don't think we're going to see uh you know signature based or behavior based um anti-malware solutions go away because the the, the whole ml based um detection can be uh cheated uh, can be uh fooled um yeah. but it's it's another tool in the arsenal
2: Absolutely. Maybe it yeah, can be clubbed with other ones too. That's right. And, and, and I mean, that
1: is what we need. It's belt and suspenders. Really. If you depend on one type of detection mechanism, you're going to get owned. So multiple yeah. different types are the way to go.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's just, it's just funny. The number of times you see AI just go horribly wrong. Yeah. The <laughs> stories, the sort of stories you hear about things like you said, the yeah, chatbot's being turned into racist. Uh, yeah. Erasist elements. It's just it's too easy to to make it into a bad thing. And
1: um, I, the thing that gets me, and I, I say this in some of my classes, is um if you look at the vendor stuff that's coming out, you know, different vendors. I won't name specific sure. ones, but most <laughs> of them they they say oh we have ai in this you know well how do you do that oh it's it's machine learning you see and it's it's like it's magical dust that they sprinkle on their product and see it's now it's magical because it's it's got that (laughs) ai in there you know what the a stands for artificial and the i intelligence and then (laughs) then there's this old saying you know natural stupidity trumps ai every time (laughs) so yeah i mean
0: natural stupidity in pen testing especially when you're up against and large corporations, you kind of come to rely on it, don't you? Because yes, you know right. it's the the easiest way to undo tens of hundreds of thousands of pounds and dollars of defensive um, layers of security are just easily undone because something like uh, USB ports aren't locked down. Yeah. And so you just trick someone into plugging in a USB stick because because you know that's not something that's being addressed.
1: And that's why I think human. Uh, innovators, both offense and defense, are not going to go away. Um, You know, we as humans, let's just say pen testing, we can come up with clever new ways that mimic what clever new attackers will do in ways that machines just cannot do. Um, Even with the best AI we currently have or will have for the foreseeable future, Um, you know, just a hunch, we'll have our hunches and you try it and wow, I can't believe that thing just works, you know? Machines don't really have that. They can extrapolate from large data sets of things that have already happened. But that innovative thing, uh, that spark that humans have, is something very special. Uh, that said, though, you know, talking about the future of pen testing, the future of cybersecurity. I know that's one of our topics. I don't want to jump the gun, but I do think you know, human intuition, uh, undergirded by automation. Um, and by automation, I don't mean AI or ML, I mean no. just either brute force or you know trying uh, a variety of different angles to get at something. That automation is increasingly important uh, to be effective as a pen tester. Uh, am, am I saying you have to learn how to code to be a pen tester? No, but maybe you should. You will be better and more effective if you do. And it doesn't have to be you know writing machine language or anything like that, but yeah. hey, you know, picking up a uh, dive into Python or or, you know, maybe a PowerShell book, it will not hurt you as a pen tester. In fact it'll help you a lot.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean that that's like you said, it's definitely not gonna do any harm knowing a handful of different common uh or frequently used uh, scripting or programming languages, right? Yep. Especially yep. when it comes to the exploitation side, being able to pick up a public exploit and fix it. The only way you're going to fix it is if you can understand what you're reading. And the only way you're going to do that is if you learn how to, at the very least, learn the basics of uh, a given language, C++, Python, whatever it is that it's written in. Um, But now just carrying on with with that. um, With pen testing, you've obviously been in the pen testing area for a while now. Um, Sure. So how... How much has pen testing changed since, since you started um, and then sort of where you've, where you've spent time doing countless pen tests? Yeah. How, how much has the, has, has the pen testing game changed?
1: It's changed a whole lot. Uh, it's become much more professionalized. I mean, back in the day, you know, I've been doing pen testing for over 25 years now. Which is crazy to even think about you know back in the day you had your servers you had your clients there was a bunch of stuff exposed on the internet um you know just crazy stuff uh exposed on the internet you know file sharing um you know very weak uh, early web servers like early iis was a disaster um you know stuff like that um and honestly it used to be easier then But it was a lot of manual stuff. We didn't have great tools. I remember when I first started pen testing, oh, this is going to date me. um, We had a tool that we were using inside the phone company. That's where I started. And it was called Pingware. Pingware. And I hope you're sitting down because the number of vulnerabilities this thing could could test for is overwhelming. This was before Satan came out. Remember the Satan tool years Uh, ago? yeah. Yeah. So Pingware could test for seven vulnerability, <laughs> seven. And then when Satan first came out, I think it was 120 or so vulnerabilities. And everybody said, this isn't fair. I mean, you look at modern, you know, Nessus or, oh, yeah. or Nexpos or something, it's 100,000 plus. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, so so things did start to get more automated and those tools got better and better. Um, but now, you know, William Gibson famously said, you know, w- you know what, what's in the future? Well, the future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed. So you know, what we're seeing in pen testing increasingly is cloud-based infrastructures, complex infrastructures. Um, it's not just servers or even clients anymore, because we're increasingly seeing cloud-based clients. Mm-hmm. Um, software as a service in, in clouds. It's not just, "Hey, I virtualized my machines and shipped them up to AWS or something like that. It's now, you know, entire uh, software suites. Um, Office three sixty five in the cloud, uh, you know, and, and and things like that. Calendars, financial applications, all that stuff, um, and then pen testing that while following the rules of those providers adds a whole additional layer of complexity. Um, but that's where the action is. That's where breaches are happening. You know, the other big thing is is this ransomware stuff. Um, yeah. It's it's here to stay. Uh, the attackers have figured out a really good model for making really good money from it, yeah. um, and you know, increasingly, the pen tests that people are asking us for are trying to determine can ransomware get in in the first place, and and you know, we have to speak that language because that's the big worry at the board level and the CISO level and such. Um, look, there are lots of ways to measure whether you're having good effective defenses against ransomware. Pen testing is not necessarily the best way. Um, Right. I mean, you should do a comprehensive assessment about your backup strategy and internal file sharing, et cetera, et cetera. That said, if you're doing pen testing and you're not addressing the potential for ransomware to exploit the vulnerabilities you've discovered, I think you're missing the vernacular of the day of how businesses understand their own risk. So so I I caution people who are out there doing pen testing, when you write your reports, think about how a ransomware cyber criminal might exploit the vulnerabilities you've addressed and put a paragraph or something like that in your report about that, especially if you've found egregious vulnerabilities.
0: Right. You know, yeah. it's just the language
1: people are using today.
2: That, yeah, that seems to be very effective when I mean, talk to CISOs and people, decision makers, basically, um, that if you speak that language, it becomes a tube like up in their head yes yeah. it's like oh i need no, to be no, really worried this about this yeah well, <laughs> they hear, they hear blah to blah blah or stakeholders on meetings um, yeah, yeah I, I see how that can be a power play
1: yeah they, they, they hear when we're talking to them they hear blah 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 tcp blah 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 <laughs> api blah 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 ransomware this is really important now right they're zooming in <laughs>
0: And that's where they look up from their phones
1: (laughs) yeah it's like it's like that old far side cartoon i don't know if you saw it's a long time ago but it's a guy talking to his dog and what the dog hears and it's blah 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 ginger the dog's name is ginger so the dog is like now it cares right (laughs) or maybe the word food it's it's that way with ransomware when it comes to management yeah
2: so when you when you talk about and i want i want just i just want to take a couple of seconds on this to um uh, to challenge you on what so pen testing is part of uh, a smaller subset of red teaming, right? Whenever you're doing corporate security. Um, what what do you think the future for red teaming should be when they know that they're they're working alongside with the enterprise? Um, yeah. They are making sure controls have been checked. Uh, when you talk to red teamers, um, what, what do you think should be their primary focus? Um, yeah. Now that the field play is completely changed and ransomware is part of the game, uh, we're yep. not just... Going after OWASP vulnerabilities, we are doing real work uh, that could define the fate of the company, right?
1: That's right. So so I think of pen testing versus uh, red teaming this way. So penetration testing is designed to find vulnerabilities and under controlled circumstances exploit them to help determine business risk. Okay, fair enough. So what is red teaming? Red teaming is there to exercise the blue team and put them through their paces. Uh, Very similar to pen testing, but you're not just trying to find vulnerabilities. You might do an assumed breach red team exercise where you give the red team access to the internal network and see how they can do lateral movement and such. So Shubham asks, you know, well where is red teaming heading? Uh, Adversary emulation. Uh, So becoming more and more like the real threat actors that we see, ransomware being a major one of them these days. Um, And then uh, red teaming, doing that very well, and and bleeding over into purple teaming where so red teaming does its red stuff it is offensive and but their ultimate goal at the end of the day is to make blue better by sharing what they use to get in by thinking about defenses and working together i i don't believe there is a purple team there's red and they do red and there's blue and they do blue there might be some cross pollinization where you have a a blue person sit in and work with the red team, mm-hmm. but, but when I think of purple teaming, what I think is let red be red, let blue be blue, but then we meet up afterwards so that each side can tell them their craft and how they applied it so that, mm-hmm. and then brainstorm to help make the other side better. Red making blue better, blue making red even more lethal so that we kind of raise everybody's capabilities.
2: Sure. Yeah, so so like an after action review. Uh, AAR. Doing... Super yeah, important.
1: Yeah. if you're not doing that after a red team exercise you're not gaining the maximum benefit you can from it in fact you're probably gaining the minimal benefit that you can you got a nice report hey that's good but where's my aar right yeah
2: yeah aar is super important
1: amen (laughs)
2: yeah (laughs) right and i just wanted to touch base on you've been like you said that you've been um in pen testing longer than uh, most of the listeners are born in the world. so, <laughs> <That's> so sad. <laughs> so yes, Not, not make, trying to make sure that making you feel I bad about your it. Premise. I, ex- I don't <laughs> like
1: your premise, but I accept
2: it. <laughs> right. So, uh, but I just wanted to see since you have so many pentas under your belt and your experience in this, uh, you have seen the better part of the world uh, evolving as yes. computer technologies evolved, um, as well as better part of the world, uh, like literally. You sit on a chair and it's like, how can they make this kind of stuff? Because yeah. this pen test was so easy. How are they surviving? Like, yeah. I want to know yeah. what was one of your most memorable pen test, uh in, in in your time and uh, something so, which you're proud of or something which yeah. you, are, you scratch your head. It's like, how did this happen?
1: I, I have to be careful because um, I can't divulge my customers. But my very favorite pen tests are, let me describe their characteristics there have been a couple like two in my career um, that were just so wonderful and memorable and they they work like this they go from the chip level to the cloud level and everything in between right so it's not oh this web app or you know that network or that piece of firmware kind of thing it's it's you're you're starting at the chip level maybe grinding down the chip so you can get direct electrical connectivity We've done that in one of these two pen tests. Or the other, very common, is extracting the firmware from from chips and starting to analyze that. And then working your way up the stack into the, where you got the chip level, you got the firmware, you got the operating system, then you move to the network, and the network usually involves some sort of wireless, and that wireless might be Wi-Fi, it might be BLE, it might be Zigbee, or it might be all of them. Or even RFID or NFC, right? Might be all of them. Then moving up, Beyond that, there might be some servers with given APIs that are accessed in the cloud. And and what embodies all of these technologies we just described? And it's IoT. So, my favorite pen test we've done many IoT pen tests, but often we're just focused on a given API or we're focused on a given piece of firmware. But my favorite ones, and mobile's involved here as well, right? Because usually it's a mobile um, technology that's controlling the Internet of Things. So I've had many IOT pen tests, but my favorite ones are those that go from chip to cloud and we test everything in between. These are very rare kinds of pen tests because they're very expensive. And when it comes to IOT, except for a few very big, very rich companies, when it comes to IOT, it's get this thing out the door at the minimal price possible we can't afford $150,000 pen test of this thing. Oh, and the other issue with IoT pen tests is they're working really hard to get this darn product made. And once the product is made, Santa Claus is coming around the corner. We got to ship <laughs> this thing in September so people can buy it in October and November and put it under the tree for the holidays, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so, so usually they'll, they'll say, hey, we finished the product yesterday. Can you test it today? It's like, yeah. we have a backlog for nine months. What are you talking about, right? <laughs> um, so, so those are the difficulties, but I've, I've had two IoT pen tests where everything lined up and they wanted us to do this comprehensively. We found some significant vulnerabilities, which is a whole additional issue. If you've got yeah. hardware product that's integrating with cloud-based service and you want to ship it in a couple of weeks and you found a problem in the hardware, what do you do? And in one of these tests that we did, this is what made it my favorite. Um, We found it was in an IOT device. It was a massive flaw in association with how it did cryptography. Now, these devices have very little memory and very little CPU power. So you can't do fancy, fancy crypto on these things. They have very little storage, in fact, because that drives up price like crazy. So my team, found a fundamental flaw in an IOT product just like foundational flaw Uh, Mm -hmm. our customer paid us to do this because they had heard this flaw uh, permeated all such devices in their industry and they wanted to see if their device they had competitors too but they wanted to see if their device had this flaw so we worked hard and we found the flaw and we ripped the product apart great so so what do you do next yeah well you got to make a recommendation on how to secure it so (laughs) It was me and Josh Wright and Tim Medine and a couple other folks from my team were sitting there trying to figure out a way. How do we solve this given the restrictions and constraints on RAM and power consumption and CPU? And the solution has to involve cryptography, right? Yeah. And we thought about it and thought about it and fought with each other. And Josh was coming up with ideas and Tim Medine and I was coming up with ideas and kept none of them worked. So I remember getting, getting on the phone with those guys saying let's just go through classical crypto solutions to see if any of them give us insight in how to solve this, Right. So, so how does, you know, uh, Microsoft Kerberos solve this? How did Needham Schroeder address it? How did, you know, all these different classical crypto solutions for anything, could we steal from them? And nothing was working. Nothing, nothing would work even theoretically, let alone practically. And then I remember, one night, it was about 4 a.m. I was at actually Sands Orlando, uh, one year, and I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I had this crazy idea. Hey, maybe we could do it this way, and I texted Josh Wright and Tim Medine saying, "What about this?" And around 6:30 a.m., I got a text back from Tim Medine, saying, "No, that won't work because of this, this, and this." And I responded back around 6:45, saying, "Well, actually, we could tweak it a little bit like this, this, and this, and it might work." Around 7 a.m., maybe 7.05, Josh Wright texted back saying, that actually might work. And uh, then we met each other for breakfast around 8 a.m., and we went through and started scribbling down on paper and such, and and we solved it. We solved the problem. Uh, We told our customer the solution for the problem. They implemented it and pushed it into their product. And the coolest thing about this pen test was within about six months, all of their competitors copied them. So all of, all of that kind of product uh, solved this problem by, by using the solution that we had posed to our first customer. So, that's, I, so I love that pen test because of its breadth of different technologies, yeah. but we had a really intellectually interesting and hard problem that, that when we were able to solve it, it benefited not only that customer, but through everyone else copying them, <laughs> um, it, it actually benefited the whole industry. And that was lovely. It made me so happy and so proud of my team. Um, I'm sorry to brag like that, but but it's just, you know, so that's for me what makes for a really good pen test. Lots of different technical stuff to tear apart, uh, finding a big problem, um, and then coming up with an innovative solution to the big problem that helps make the world a safer place. I mean, there's nothing better than that.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as impact goes, that's like one of your biggest impacts, right? your solution stretches further than just the client that you're working with. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Even if it is so. copying, right? <laughs> but hey, <laughs> look, their competitors are buying their products saying, what the heck is this thing doing? How's, why did they do it that way? And they're like, oh, now we see why they're doing know, it that <laughs> yeah. way.
2: You, you change the world for the good, um, you change the industry for good um, by inventing a new technique. So that helps uh, definitely in the long run. Um, so so I, I guess that during to... these kind of pen tests works uh, you discover some new techniques, and most of the time, it's during one of these activities that a new technology is born, a new yeah. type of c- protection is born in the yeah. world.
1: So many people out there, you know, friends of ours, mutual friends in the industry, you know, they'll do a given pen test, come up with some new idea, and create a tool and release it, and it drives forward the whole industry again and again and again. You know, people like Robin Wood, he's constantly coming up with new ideas and building tools, and even short of building tools, building labs for people for free, just to learn the techniques that he's yeah. applying. He's a great guy and does fantastic work from your side of the pond. So, Sunny. yeah. Yeah, that's
0: one, of the, that's one of the great things about uh, the, the industry that we're, we're all in. It's that there's so much free help available. and so many of the tools that we've come to use on a daily basis um, are just freely available. developed by other guys and girls who are in the industry and just pushing stuff back out there to to make everything better for everyone else Um, right and that's not and that's that's i think sometimes we can take that for granted because it's not it's not like that in in other industries for sure Um, it's it's it doesn't have so much as a a sort of give back culture that we've got in in infosec where it's about let me just try this thing and I'll call that works and I'll just push it, put it on my Git repo and anyone that wants it can grab it and further work on it and further tweak it and make it better and go through those iterations. It's um, it's pretty yeah. cool the, way, it's the a, way our world works.
1: I think you, you nailed it, Sonny. It is a unique aspect of the cybersecurity industry culture of, of that sort of giving back. Um, you know, there's a lot of things in cybersecurity industry culture that are problematic but one of the things that is good is that sharing of information, um, that innovative research, um, and such—it uh, it defines this culture. And I think it comes from the relationship between cybersecurity and hacker culture. I mean, one kind of, you know, came yeah. from the other, um, and that's actually a good thing to be celebrated. Um, no, you know, really you is, go. Oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah, no, it really is something to to like you said celebrate because. It it, it it sort of makes our industry what it
1: is. Yeah, it it really does. I mean, you go on like cybersecurity Twitter, and everybody's yelling at everybody else, which is kind of sad. <laughs> it makes me depressed. <laughs> Total but, drama. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Total <laughs> drama all over the place. But um, but you know there are very good things about this culture, and I think that's one of the best things. Um, that that sharing and free open expression, uh, of technical ideas is is it really. Good
2: thing and also the fact that it's very welcoming to um newbies you know so, so most of our listeners as well as the people i interact with are very new to cybersecurity, and uh maybe they're just jumping on the bandwagon which is pretty hot right now yeah or true. they are really interested in it uh but everybody's welcoming uh, and there's a bit, the ability to share knowledge and being symbiotic with each other and um, helping them through is not what I've seen in any other industry. Software is different, yeah. it's it's filled with people who are very knowledgeable and very the barrier to entry is pretty hard in software engineering. Um, mm-hmm. But when you come to security, since it's so hot topic right now, um, new people who are joining in, it's easier for them to jump in and then learn the ropes and then just, yeah, just become get, what you want it to be.
0: I'll say get, get started with the, with the ground running. Um, That's good. So I, I
2: hope, hope it is, and we should
1: encourage it to be even more so. You know, my team tries to do that through things like Holiday Hack Challenge and, and stuff. Um, you know, sometimes I hear things about, you know, people who aren't so welcoming in cybersecurity, and that makes me sad, but I think overall, Shubham, what you say is this is much more welcoming than other technical industries, um, yeah. and, but we could always do better, too. Yeah, yeah.
0: absolutely.
2: Well, now that yeah. you've touched on the important topic of the evening, uh, <laughs> Yes. And he has so, something to say. <laughs> CounterHack.
1: Yes. What's,
0: uh, what's, what's new at CounterHack? What's, what's so, the, so, the latest going on?
1: Yeah, so CounterHack, for those people that don't know, uh, is my company uh, where I work with Josh Wright and Ron Bose and, and Chris LG. I can't name them all, but a whole bunch of other <laughs> really great practitioners. And about half of what we do is we build cyber ranges for SANS. Things like NetWars, which was one of our commercial cyber ranges, uh, but also Holiday Hack Challenge, which is a free cyber range that we build uh, for SANS and Santa Claus every year. That's half mm-hmm. our business. The other half of our business is doing penetration testing and cybersecurity consulting, and we do that uh, directly for customers. Um, and, and we're picking up new customers and growing, um, just doing great innovative work. I'm so proud of that team. But on the, um, on the SANS side of the business, you know holiday hack uh, we're hard at work on holiday hack 2021 um, and uh, we've been doing holiday hack I think for 18 years now uh, for those that aren't familiar with it uh, you should check it out it's there for you right now you can play last year or the year before or the year before um, go to holidayhackchallenge.com it's entirely free it is sans gift and our gift to the cybersecurity community um, it consists of a virtual world that you can hop around in you get a little avatar and you hop around you can talk to other characters it consists of the the highest quality cybersecurity challenges that my team can make i mean it's not like we put our lesser stuff in holiday hack and give it away for free we put our best stuff in holiday hack and give it away for free Um, so and it's all levels of difficulty from from newbies as shum said right um you know little kids play this kids as young as seven or eight or nine years old and it goes all the way up to like the grand guru professionals of cybersecurity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, last year you had to contend with Jack Frost in our hardest challenge, uh, as Jack Frost exploited uh, hash collisions and uh, bad pseudo random number generators to undermine blockchain. So it was a blockchain attack. and It was hard. It was, but there's also easy stuff, right? I mean, really easy, simple guest passwords and, and games um, and everything in between. One of the things that we really try to do in Holiday Hack every year is to incorporate a physical security challenge in it. You know, like, how do you do a physical security challenge in a virtual world? Well, two years ago, we worked with uh, Deviant, uh, who is a physical security professional, and uh, came up with a challenge where there's a lock on a door and you have to unlock it. And there's a sort of a janitor that runs around. He's he's Krampus. And Krampus has hanging at his belt his keychain. And if you zoom in, you can see the key and how it's key bidding. It's called bidding, how it's carved, essentially. And what you could and there's a, a key carving machine next to this door. So <laughs> you, you take the key bidding that you see on his thing, you cut your own key and it goes ding when the key is done, and you take that and you unlock the door. So you're essentially cutting a key from an image, a picture of the key, and then using that to get through this door. That was two years ago. Then last year, we, uh, we had students pick up a virtual Proxmark machine. And a virtual Proxmark machine can be used to clone hid cards. These are the radio frequency yeah. you know, yeah. identification cards. So what you do is you pick up your Proxmark, You'd hop around to various elves, turn it on so it would gather the, the radio frequency information from the hid key, and then you'd clone the hid key, and you'd hop back to this door and open that up. Um, wow. We're working on another one this year, which it's so a physical challenge based in a virtual world. Um, so you know, the, the storyline this year is coming together quite nicely. Uh, I have been authorized by Santa Claus to share some details of what's going on at the North Pole. <laughs> okay. So you want to hear <laughs> Let's yes. go, man. Let's do Okay, so, so Holiday Hack 2020, when it, um, at the end of it, you, you found out that Jack Frost uh, was the villain. So every year there's a villain trying to destroy the holiday season. And your job is to figure out who the villain is and bring the villain to justice. You know, in past years, we've had the villain be the Tooth Fairy. Um, it's been um, Glinda the Good Witch from The Wizard of Oz. He was the villain <laughs> yeah. one year. We've had Hans Gruber from uh, the Die Hard movies uh, was a villain. Anyway, so last year it was Jack Frost. And um, Jack Frost was trying to take over uh, the holiday season by posing as Santa Claus. And at the end, you know, you defeat him. And we had 19,000 people play this uh, in 2020. Well, it turns out that Jack Frost, I mean, the legal system of the North Pole is very complex. And Jack (laughs) Frost got off on a technicality. So he's back in 2021. And he's got a whole new plan to foil the holiday season. Um, it's, last year, he tried to become Santa Claus. This year, it's a whole different plan. And uh, when you get there, you're gonna see uh, Jack Frost like you've never seen him before. And as you work your way through this challenge, you're gonna learn a lot about Jack's backstory. Where does Jack come from? Um, you know, what is the legend? Why does he have these wintry powers? and uh so anyway so stay tuned for that it's coming the second week of december 2021 and uh you know people ask me all the time how do i practice for that and the way you practice is play the previous years so we keep the previous years up and by that i don't mean just 2020 2019 2018 2017 2016 2015 they're all up and you can play them anytime to learn so if you want a free high quality north pole themed cyber range you can go and play any one of those holiday hacks uh, from the past, and then uh, that'll get you ready for 2021. Um, so, so we have prizes, uh, you know, the, the, the challenge itself stays up year round, but it's competitive from second week of December to first week of January. And the, the top prize is usually a SANS class. So, cool. <laughs> so that's what's coming up. Um, we're super excited, here it is. <sighs> Just a, a few months away. I mean, it seems like summer now, but my team yeah. is starting to sweat because this thing is coming at us like a freight train, you know?
2: Uh, I'm super excited for the physical pen test challenge. Yeah. yeah. I've that's done CrinkleCon pretty... um, over the years. Uh, yeah. I usually wait until a little bit later because the traffic load on the website sometimes <laughs> doesn't True. allow you to do it. Uh, we so crushed. many people doing it. 19,000 know? so,
1: last year. 19,000. Yeah, right incredible.
2: Uh, I just waited out, and after Christmas, I have good amount of PTO which I collect. So I just trust it out during that time, and it has never disappointed uh, me. I always love it, and the challenges are super fun. Thank okay. you so much for giving that to the community.
1: Oh, Shabam, that means uh, so much to me. Um, thank you. That's really really cool. Uh, Absolutely. It's,
0: it, yeah, it's it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, cool. Well, that's uh, that's sort of the half hour slot that we had set up so yeah i just want to take a moment to to thank you ed for agreeing to come on and do this it's it's been incredible well thank you it's been uh, fun
1: i really enjoyed your questions great conversation thank you
0: yeah your, your input uh, as always is hugely valued and respected so oh, thank you yeah thanks for for agreeing to do this um and we'll, we'll wrap it up there so yeah we'll, uh, we'll let you know once we push this out and it goes live um yeah, and you're absolutely. most
2: active on Twitter, right?
1: I'm most active on Twitter. Um, things are very busy, but I do post when I have something interesting to say, I think. I, I hope. Um, and I wish you the best with this podcast. I mean, I hope this is the first of hundreds. So, yeah.
2: Good. And we started out strong with gosh. having
1: you here. Well, <laughs> yeah, you, guys, <laughs> you guys did a great job. You did a great job. Thank exactly.
0: you. Thank um, you so much. We'll post uh, the, the link to your social media, so your, your Twitter accounts. And the links to CounterHack and KringleCon in the description of the podcast, so go find it, get set up, and get ready for this year's KringleCon as well. Sure. Um, and uh, yeah, see so see how we let's see how we get on.
1: Awesome. Thank you.